0: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three martinis coming up. Yeah, definitely grab the stool. We've got a lot to talk about today. Quite a bit has happened since we last got together on Friday on the three martini lunch. We knew Joe Biden was likely to win the South Carolina primary. The latest polls showed a bigger and bigger margin, not quite as big as the margin ended up being. But we'll We'll get to Biden in the second martini, although he certainly overshadows the first martini as well. We've got good, crazy, and bad today, and all of it's sponsored by Hydrant. For 25% off your first order of Hydrant, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code Martini at checkout. We'll tell you all about Hydrant in just a little bit. So, yeah, Jim, Saturday night, uh, polls closed in South Carolina at 7 o'clock. I believe at 7 o'clock in two seconds, we all got our alerts that Joe Biden was declared the winner of the South Carolina primary. And boy, uh, was he ever. Uh, He nearly got to 50% in a fairly crowded field, a 30 point win over Bernie Sanders, who I believe was the only other person to get delegates tom steyer who'd put just about all of his eggs in that basket uh, did not do as well as the polls had suggested he finished in third and uh, we'll talk about him here in a moment as well and then immediately jim uh the intelligentsia as mike bloomberg likes to say it whether it's the media whether it's the democratic party whether it's the never trumpers martini one number two are really going to overlap here but uh Everybody else has to get out. Joe Biden has to has to be the, the non-Bernie option here. So Tom Steyer uh, gets out that night, and I think he was planning to. If he didn't uh, raise enough eyebrows uh, to uh, after spending all those millions of dollars in South Carolina, and then yesterday, uh, when it certainly didn't seem like he was planning to, Pete Buttigieg announced he was getting out of the race as well. He had been on Meet the Press. He had been down in Georgia with Jimmy Carter. He was supposed to go to Dallas for a big rally ahead of Super Tuesday. And the next thing you know, he's headed back to South Bend to drop out of the race. So we've got clips here from Pete Buttigieg and Tom Steyer. Let's start with Buttigieg, since he's obviously the one who got more traction in this campaign. Uh, Depending on how you look at it, he won Iowa, uh, and he certainly came in a close second in New Hampshire. But after that, there really was no path for him. Uh, And here's what he said on Sunday.
0: After a year of going everywhere, meeting everyone, defying every expectation, seeking every vote, The truth is that the path has narrowed to a close for our candidacy, if not for our cause. Our goal has always been to help unify Americans to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for our values. And so we must recognize that at this point in the race, the best way to keep faith with those goals and ideals is to step aside and help bring our party and our country together. So tonight... I am making the difficult decision to suspend my campaign for the presidency.
1: Jim, we'll get to Steyer in a second, but uh, it it sure feels to me anyway like Buttigieg got shoved out of this race. I I don't know what you think about that. But this is a guy who almost none of us knew uh, even how to say his name when he first got into the race. I think it's safe to say that uh, he got attention and traction because he was the first major party candidate to be openly gay. But uh, he got that money from Hollywood. He got the media attention and he actually did something with it. Uh, He didn't have a great record as mayor of South Bend, and we know he's platitude Pete. But uh, what do you make of, first of all, the Buttigieg exit?
0: Yeah, there are two ways to have almost all presidential campaigns end in either bitter disappointment, embarrassing failure, or some other bad outcome. There are two possible good outcomes. The first is that you win the presidency. Winning the nomination and losing the the general election is generally pretty darn disappointing. Um, but the other one is like when you, you expected your team to do not do that well in the NFL and they end up being nine and seven, like, okay, that was pretty good. That's, that's a good optimistic, uh, step to build upon for the future. And it's much easier to think about future campaigns when you're a 38 year old Pete Buttigieg than if you're say 70 year old Elizabeth Warren or any of the other septuagenarian candidates out there. Wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that when you had 25 candidates in at once, You go back to the very beginning of this cycle, polling in January 2019, you had about a quarter of the electorate said, I like Bernie Sanders most. You had about a quarter of the the, the Democratic primary voters who were responding were saying, I like Joe Biden most. Fast forward to when people actually started voting, it was about the same, at least in the national numbers. The, you know, everybody else, so basically everybody, you you basically had to come with your base already pre-established if you were not a well-known national figure. And by and large, All of the candidates who ran who were not well-known national figures, the ones who were comparably unknown, pretty much fell flat on their face. And a whole bunch of governors and a whole bunch of senators got a very rough lesson in nobody knows who you are and nobody really cares on what you have to say. You really have to make an effort to stand out in this crowd. I'm thinking of like the Deval Patrick's of the world, uh, the Michael Bennett's of the world, the John Hickenlooper's of the world. Hey, guess what? Outside of Colorado, nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares who you are. Pete Buttigieg managed to go out there as the the you know mayor of 100,000 population South Bend, and actually make a splash, actually make an impact, get into the top tier. Uh, he won Iowa in terms of delegates. He was you know close second in the, in the number of votes. He was a close second in New Hampshire. Those are big deals. That is uh, that is a real feather in his cap. And uh, I think you know as we've seen with the strength of Bernie Sanders this cycle, it's kind of underestimated because in, in in modern politics the sense is well if you ran for office once. Uh, you fit fa- and you didn't succeed. You failed. Nobody wants you anymore. Go away. Running for president is really hard. Being successful at the uh, you know state level does not guarantee that you know what you're doing when you're in the harsh spotlight of a national of the national campaign. Pete Buttigieg, by and large, rose to that. I think his debate performances were by and large, very solid. I think in the end, he was a wine track candidate who ran out of states that looked good for him. He put a lot of he had the time and money and the effort uh, to really go after Iowa and he did very well. He had the time and money and effort to go into New Hampshire did very well. He had to skimp on Nevada and he had to skimp in South Carolina and we saw what happened and there just easy. you look at the Super Tuesday states, there's just nothing there for a guy like him that, that looks like a nice, nice uh, friendly state. You know the, the week after maybe on Michigan because you know South Bend is kind of near Michigan. you know like there just isn't any natural areas like okay well after these winning these states, he moves on to win that. He got no momentum out of these two states. Maybe some of that is the problems they had with the Iowa recount. But by and large, you know, if this was a, look, Pete Buttigieg, if he just chooses to run again in 2024 or 2028, will still be a relatively young man. He'll still be way younger than most of the candidates running this cycle. And he'll be in a good shape. He's demonstrated he can raise the money. He's demonstrated he can win in the early states. Now he's just got to figure out a way to broaden his appeal. And he's got 48 years to work on that if he wants to. Do you think he got shoved? Well, that's you. Know, as of yesterday morning, his you know, his campaign Twitter account was still telling people to get out the vote on Super Tuesday. So, again, maybe the person running the social media accounts wasn't in the loop, but it certainly indicates as you said, the travel schedule, everything points to the fact that as of yesterday morning, he was expecting to keep going. Now, as I said, the the map didn't look good for him, and I think it's possible he looked at it and said, "You know what?" If I quit now, I get credit for being a team player. I, you know, I can acknowledge the fact that, look, Nevada did not, did not go well and South Carolina did not go well. And, oh, by the way, Pete Buttigieg put a lot of money into trying to win over African-American South Carolina, and he did not close the deal. So if he wants to look at something he needs to work on if he chooses to run again, that's a big glaring neon sign. You know, if you know you're going to go into 15 states and Super Tuesday and not do well anywhere, well, why not get out? Right now you've got an excuse. I mean, it's bad news for everybody in California who already mailed in their ballot. And oh, by the way, he was at 10%. He's about 10% in the polls in California. So maybe something in the neighborhood of like 270,000 Californians cast in their ballots for him. And now they've voted for somebody who's out of the race. But hey, it happens. That's what you get when you vote early, Californians.
1: Jim, is there a platitude for how losing is really winning?
0: I, I was thinking about that. Yeah, I think <laughs> probably it's something like the only way you could truly enjoy the greatest victory is if you're willing to admit you've been defeated. <laughs> think about that like it's a fortune cookie or something
1: you know well here's the tweet that uh, that i appreciated first of all his uh, supporters were chanting 2024 last night uh, which is interesting because if the democrats actually win you would <laughs> Str- think- strongly
0: hinting they don't expect an incumbent democrat <laughs> to be running that
1: year that's right but uh the, the tweet that uh just floored me last night and it's not technically true but it's really close to being true it said if pete Buttigieg runs for president in 2060 He'd still be younger than Bernie Biden and Bloomberg are right now. That's not technically true because uh, he'd be slightly, I'm talking less than a year older than Bloomberg and Biden. But 40 years from now, he'd be right there.
0: 2056. All right. This is, this is, yeah, we can move, we can move, that, move up one, one, or one cycle earlier. Uh, I mean, look, at that time, I'm guessing um, probably the colonization of Mars will be a deeply divisive issue. And maybe he's the guy who can unite us and our Martian colonies. You know?
1: We will see. We will see. Hopefully you and I will be around to talk about it, but uh, we'll see. Let's go to our crazy martini now. And so Joe Biden wins big and it's an impressive win. Uh, Almost 50 percent in a field of seven candidates. Eight if you count uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Nine if you count Schmidlap. Uh, He didn't register uh, too highly up there. But as far as I know, he's still in. Biden flopped in Iowa. He flopped badly in New Hampshire. He came in second in Nevada, but he was uh, a very, very distant second at 20%. And so he wins big in South Carolina after three horrific showings, and Jim instantly... Joe Biden is the one we must all rally around, forget what's happened so far, forget what lies ahead. If you are a person who loves your party or loves America, this is incumbent upon you to get out of the way and make Joe Biden the only option opposed to Bernie Sanders here. Joe Scarborough. This is on Saturday. Mike Bloomberg, who hadn't even appeared on a ballot yet, can stop Bernie Sanders by dropping out of the race and running ads for Joe Biden on Super Tuesday. If he does not, Michael Bloomberg will be responsible for Bernie's victory. That will be his legacy. Bill Kristol and a lot of other folks on the Never Trump side of things, whatever the case for either Klobuchar or Warren, neither is going to be the nominee, and it's not going to be Bloomberg either. So it's Bernie or Biden tomorrow if you live in one of the 14 states. You have to choose Joe Biden. And all these panels on the cable news, particularly CNN and MSNBC, uh, now you've got uh, folks uh, from celebrities to other politicians immediately jumping on the Biden bandwagon. It seems a tad premature, but, Jim, I know the last thing they want is the first thing we want, which is chaos in Milwaukee. So uh, uh, what do you make of all this?
0: Yeah, well, so first of all, I think it's time for us to take this concept that early state wins will generate momentum down the road uh, and just drive a stake into this idea because and every year you see some candidate who decides to basically pitch a tent or in the case of Chris Dodd literally move to the state of Iowa and they put all their resources into it. And they're hoping that they can you know, they don't have a lot of money. They're not going to be able to run a whole bunch of ads, but they're going to they're going to shake enough hands and enough diners to get themselves to the victory. Most of the times they don't even win Iowa. But even if you do, you cannot scale that to a whole bunch of states on a Super Tuesday type situation. By the way, I think the Democrats may want to rethink the idea of Super Tuesday, because, you know, with 15 states, this many delegates at stake, three days after South Carolina, you you effectively have a national primary. And if your fear is that you're eliminating a lot of good possibilities uh, because it's too expensive to run in 15 states simultaneously. Well, OK, you know, maybe you do need to think about, you know, spacing them out more. Maybe it is, you know, and, and maybe the states that are like, oh, if we're too late, we don't really matter anymore. This is a way of making sure that states, you know, that there's still a a competitive race well into the spring. But the other complication here is that it's very clear Iowa and New Hampshire are not representative of the the Democratic Party as a whole. And I think you could probably argue they may not be representative of the Republican Party as a whole either. There are really not that many African-Americans in Iowa or New Hampshire. Joe Biden has always had, you know, his strength from the beginning of this cycle has been he has the best numbers amongst African-Americans. And there weren't enough in Iowa to show it. There were not enough people in New Hampshire to show it. Nevada was more heavily Latino. But he started getting at least a little bit better there. And now we finally come to a state that has a lot of African-Americans voting in its Democratic primary. And lo and behold, Biden wins big. Although it's also worth noting he did particularly well amongst white suburbanites. Democrats, this is a giant flashing neon sign that if you nominate Bernie Sanders, you, A, are not guaranteed high de- turnout amongst African-Americans, and B, you will probably lose a whole bunch of suburbs you're counting on winning. But you know what? They're not going to listen to us. It doesn't really matter. You put all that stuff together, you, you, it's almost unheard of to have finished fifth place in New Hampshire and then turn around and win in South Carolina. I think voters don't care about who won in this state or that state. Maybe it's that uh, South Carolinians are particularly skeptical of what the, uh, those northern and upper, uh, those northern and midwestern states voted for. But this is one of those things where like, well, all of a sudden it totally changes everything. The the I can understand why Mike Bloomberg's like, hey, wait a second. You know, we, we haven't really competed, you know, gotten into any serious competitions yet. Why is everybody yelling for us to leave the race? That having been said, Greg, as I laid out in today's morning jolt, Mike Bloomberg is not looking good in a whole bunch of these states. Uh, polls can be wrong and all that stuff. But again, if you're if you're hitting like thirteen percent, you're probably not going to win the state with like thirty to forty percent. You know, polls are very rarely that far off. So you're looking at this and you're like, okay, well, where's, you know, where's, where are Bloomberg's good States? You know, he's at 13% in California and the real clear politics average, you know, maybe, maybe Buttigieg gets out. Maybe it puts him above 15. Okay, good. You're getting some delegates because if you're below 15, you're not getting any delegates. And you know what? He is right now 11.5% in Virginia. I'm not sure that, I'm not sure he's getting delegates in Virginia. Uh, 16.7% in Texas. All right. That's good. He's getting some 16% in North Carolina. Okay, it's getting close, but he probably does there. Uh, Colorado, he's at 14% or 11%, depending on which poll you uh, had. By the way, dear pollsters, we could use more polls in these states. Maine, he's at 14%, right on the borderline there. Greg, I was kind of shocked by this. There's been one poll in Utah. Guess where Mike Bloomberg is? 19%. Wow. I, and I look, I'm trying to figure, like, Mike Bloomberg and heavily Mormon Utah does not go together. The only thing I think of is, you know, maybe the soda ban. I don't know. Dear Mormon (laughs) listeners, we love you. I kid because I love. And the only poll where I could, the only state where I could find a poll in which he actually led, unless you read the Joel today, Greg, you're never going to guess. He's actually leading somewhere? I have no idea. Arkansas. Wow. That's weird. You saw that coming, right? No, not at all. (laughs) You know, I'm picturing the Pace salsa commercial. New York City, (laughs) you know, it doesn't seem like the most natural map. You know, but you add it all up maybe he wins arkansas you know maybe some of these states he gets some delegates here he gets some delegates there but you know it's it's really there he's, you know, he's, he's not he's not going to get any in vermont that's that's bernie's home state he's not going to get any in massachusetts he's not going to get anything in minnesota and as we said the whole bunch of these states he's right around that 15% threshold um you add all that up and you're like oh okay well you know maybe he'll he'll, he'll get some by the end of the day but he's spent a half a billion dollars so far which is what really is mind-boggling this has been an experiment of wow if you had unlimited funds could you get people to vote for you just by dominating the airwaves and so far the answer is no so when people are saying bloomberg ought to get out you know if he doesn't do something really impressive tomorrow you're going to hear a lot more of these cries come Wednesday.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Obviously, the debate performance in Vegas hurt him. Uh, there's another billionaire in the race, Jim. But uh, I think the fact that I forgot to talk about him in the first martini is <laughs> <laughs> kind of indicative of, of uh, where we are here. But uh, real quickly on Tom Steyer. But uh, Saturday night in South Carolina, uh, he, could, uh, he could read the results quite clearly. Here's what he said. But I said if
0: I didn't see a path to winning that I'd suspend my campaign. And honestly, I can't see a path where I can win the presidency.
1: So there it sounds like he was uh, really thinking he had a path to victory, but in the very same speech, Jim, he said this, which I know will grind your teeth, so be careful. And I didn't get into
0: this race and start talking about things to try and get votes. I was in this race to talk about things that I care the most about and that I continue to care the most about.
1: Must be a South Carolina thing, Jim. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so first of all so this means that up until saturday afternoon you saw a path to victory i guess so you know, this this is this is delusional right <laughs> and i this is one of those things where like the, out of like, having covered a whole bunch of presidential races right now i don't like it when we in the media or we in the general public are basically asked to enable someone else's delusional fantasy. Uh, between Iowa and New Hampshire four years ago, my colleague Charlie Cook saw Jim Gilmore insisting to a television interviewer that he was going to win the New Hampshire primary. <laughs> if you know, In that situation, like that's where you really need to medicate someone. This is where like, you, know, you need someone to sit him down, check him for concussions, right? ask him the, who's the president, all those kind of questions. On the one hand, you feel bad for these people because they're so wrapped up in this. They put so much effort into it and they want to believe. But you know what, Greg, I'm not put on earth to make these people's egos happy, right? And by the way, when you're a billionaire, it's doubly infuriating because it's one of those things where you just – I think the Democratic National Committee and maybe the Republican National Committee might want to institute some sort of rule of either no billionaires, that if you're a billionaire you're not allowed to run for president, or alternately some sort of aspect to discourage this – not because billionaires will buy the election fact you know as I laid out just a few moments ago, there's very little evidence to suggest that Mike Bloomberg is successfully buying the nomination. He may be attempting to, but the second thing that's kind of you know to jump me it's just it's a giant waste of Time and money and resources, and because he ran so many ads, he was getting enough name recognition. So he's appearing in the polls. We all kind of groaned every time the question went to him in the polls. We don't want billionaires treating the presidential campaign as some sort of like baseball fantasy camp where they spend, they 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 put in a large fee and they get to pretend that they're a presidential candidate. We've got an actual election to run here. Um, so I, I, I am you know good riddance, Tom Steyer. The question is not why he quit; it's that why he was in the race in the first place billionaires should not be playing political strategists they don't really know what actually the people want this should, you know and if if he if steyer flopping and mike bloomberg flopping after spending a half billion dollars it's more than that now more than a half billion dollars then at some point that you know that, that other billionaires should say okay it, it won't work for me either my suspicion though greg is that they're looking at that and saying no no if i ran it'd be totally different <laughs>
1: Well, I think I know where they got their inspiration from because four years ago, another billionaire who everybody said didn't know what he was doing got in the race and uh, turns out he ended up doing pretty well.
0: The frightening lesson is that it's not to be a billionaire that matters. It's being a celebrity that
1: matters. All right. Well, if you're still running for president, so that's you, Biden and Bernie and Bloomberg and Warren and Klobuchar and Schmidlap, um, I mean, you're going to need energy. you got 14 states uh, tomorrow and if you hang on after that, you got a long way to go. Uh, and so you're going to need energy and you're going to Need good health to do that. Um, But did you know that 75% of us are walking around every day chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches energy slumps, you don't want to be low energy, and poor focus. And it doesn't have to be that way. And that is where Hydrant could be the solution for you. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you just mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four
0: essential electrolytes that your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. They all help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or just select
1: a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And so for 25% off your first order, Three Martini Lunch listeners can go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code martini for 25% off your first order. Again, drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini. And staying hydrated is a good way to keep yourself healthy during cold, flu, and coronavirus season. So uh, definitely want (laughs) to... Stay on top of that. All right, Jim, we are going to go away from the uh, presidential campaign for our final martini. This is our bad martini. Uh, Given all the attention on coronavirus and the South Carolina primary and Super Tuesday, this didn't get nearly as much attention as it probably would have in a normal news cycle, but when was the last time we had one of those lately? Uh, There was actually a peace treaty signed uh, between the United States and the Taliban, And it looks like this might not be the most long-lasting agreement, which I'm sure will shock so many people. Uh, This is from Yahoo and Agence France Press. A deadly blast shattered a period of relative calm in Afghanistan Monday as the Taliban told fighters to resume operations against Afghan security forces just days after signing a deal with Washington aimed at ushering in a new era of peace. No group immediately claimed responsibility for the attack at a football ground in coast in eastern Afghanistan where three brothers were killed, according to AFP. The blast occurred at around the same time the Taliban ordered fighters to start up attacks against Afghan army and police forces, bringing to an apparent end the quote-unquote reduction in violence period that had seen a dramatic drop in bloodshed. But here's the crazy part. As per the U.S.-Taliban agreement, this is the Taliban now, our Mujahideen will not attack foreign forces, but our operations will continue against the Kabul administration forces. So the civil war continues, Jim. They're just going to be nicer to us, I guess. Obviously, you and I would love to bring the troops home, or at least the vast majority of them. It's been almost 19 years now that we've been there. And maybe it's just a part of the world that's never going to be stable. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have any answers here, really. But the likelihood of Afghanistan showing any sort of stability in the long or even the short run here seems really, really low.
0: Yeah, I guess the only silver lining is we didn't end up inviting them to Camp David to have some sort of formal uh, ceremony. Look, the day the deal was signed, uh, you could see the contrast in the way that uh, Secretary Pompeo and Zalameh Khalilzad, pardon me as I'm mangling his name, um, were characterizing this as a ceasefire and a step towards peace and a step towards Afghanistan determining its own future. And the Taliban were touting it as a victory. As far as they're concerned, we're surrendering. And I think that that's, you know, no matter how much we may want to spin it, uh, look, it's completely understandable. Americans want to get done. It's completely understandable they may feel like after 18 going on 19 years, we've done all we can do. But we should at least be cognizant of the risks of this. Not just that you know this is going to end with a lot of Afghanistan schoolgirls getting their faces splashed with acid in the months and years to come. This is going to be interpreted as a sign of okay, you can beat the Americans if you wait them out. You can beat the Americans if you annoy them long enough. The Americans want are you know the Americans are unwilling. If The message from America is, look, our purpose was to destroy al-Qaeda. We have destroyed al-Qaeda. Afghanistan, you must determine your own fate. We realize that you may be super-duper bloody in in how you determine your own fate. We realize this is probably going to end in a terrible civil war. Our job is done. It's up to you to fight your own battles now. If we want to go down that path, go right ahead. Just be prepared for it. And my suspicion is that this administration is kind of soft-pedaling the risk and the likely consequences of this, which means that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, when you get the, the CNN effect, when we get footage of these, you know, of the Taliban committing atrocities again, people will ask. You know, some people will say we've got to go back in there again. Some people insist we don't. The really million dollar question is, do we think the Taliban has learned the lesson of not, you know, providing a home for anti-American terrorists? And I think that's I, I don't know the answer to that question. And my, I certainly hope they've, they've learned their lesson. I don't know if they have. And my fear is that we end up back in this situation sometime around the time Pete Buttigieg decides to run for president again.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, hope springs eternal, I guess. Hopefully that there can be some sort of stability Surely there. Surely
0: they've decided to become hookah-smoking you know, drum players or something. Clearly they're ready to lay down their arms and be good people. now.
1: Yeah, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. Jim, uh, crazy day. Uh, this week's going to be pretty crazy, especially with Super Tuesday tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our great sponsor, Hydrant. Drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code martini for 25% off your first order. Also, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. And also, you can find us on those home devices. Alexa, Google Home. Just say, play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you right back here for the 3 Martini Lunch on Tuesday.